Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store, Route 6A, Orleans, Cape Cod. On the web at birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By the Boston Harbor Island Alliance. Minutes away, worlds apart. Go to bostonharborislands.org for more information. Good morning. Welcome to our show, number 516. I want to start with a thanks to all who visited our Talking Birds table at the big Mass Audubon birders meeting out at Bentley University in Waltham yesterday. Special thanks to James from Medford who stopped by to tell us that he is listening to all of our previous archived Talking Birds shows, and I believe he said he was up to number 200. Thank you, James. Uh, you can find all of our past shows on our website, TalkingBirds.com, or you can find them in the podcast section at iTunes. Well, a few months ago, we welcomed the talented birder and sculptor and Cornell Lab of Ornithology artist-in-residence Todd McGrain to Talking Birds to discuss the powerful statement that he made with his Lost Bird Project which recognized the tragedy of modern extinction by immortalizing North American birds that have been driven out of existence. To date, Todd has created huge and striking bronze memorials dedicated to the passenger pigeon, the Carolina parakeet, the Labrador duck, the great auk, and the heath hen, all extinct. Or are they? The question has now arisen, will at least one of these birds come back to life? Will one of those sculptures have to be adorned with a sign saying, no longer extinct? Or maybe, I'm back. The bird that just might come back, and maybe quite soon, is the heath hen. Scientific name, Tympanicus cupido cupido. The last example of which expired on the Massachusetts island of Martha's Vineyard in 1932. Sarah Brown, writing in the Vineyard Gazette this week, describes a complex and groundbreaking project that aims to bring the heath hen back. And she quotes scientists as saying the effort is advancing at lightning speed. How are they doing it? Well, they're using DNA plucked from the toes of heath hen specimens in Canada and Chicago, and DNA samples from the closely related greater prairie chicken from the plains of Nebraska, in a program funded largely by donors with ties to Martha's Vineyard. A team of scientists from around the country hopes to complete the first phase of the heath hen de-extinction project by early this summer. And even if the effort falls short of its goal, to bring the heath hen back into existence. Scientists involved say the quest to bring back a long-lost bird could help existing bird species. How would it do that? Well, we'll soon find out. We're in the process of arranging for one of the project's principals to be a guest here on Talking Birds in the very near future. Of course, not everybody thinks that causing de-extinction of a creature is a good idea. And we'll also ask that guest to explain why he thinks it is. Across my dreams With nets of wonder I chase the brightest 
Meanwhile, monarch butterflies are not extinct, but there's disturbing evidence that they might be heading in that direction. Monarch butterfly populations have plummeted so dramatically that the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service now believes there might be reason to protect them under the Endangered Species Act. And they're now providing $1.2 million to the National Fish and Wildlife Foundation to establish and fund a monarch butterfly conservation fund. The money will be used to leverage additional funds from other federal agencies, state and local partners, and the private sector. Fish and Wildlife is also allocating an additional $2 million of funding for monarch conservation to build upon its commitment to work with other groups to restore and enhance more than 200,000 acres of habitat for monarchs while also supporting more than 750 schoolyard habitats and pollinator gardens. If you visit our Talking Birds Facebook page, you'll find out what we all can do to help save the monarch butterfly. Meanwhile, whether you think it's a good idea to bring species back from extinction or not, probably all would agree that it's better to save a species you know, while it uh, still exists. Oh, Tim is feeling the chill there. He is uh, shivering right here in the studio. Yes, the winter winds continue to howl here in the Northeast and in many other parts of the country. Veterinarians here in the Bay State say it's the worst winter they've ever seen in terms of the number of starving patients arriving at the Tufts Wildlife Clinic in Grafton, Massachusetts. In January and February alone, the clinic treated almost 250 birds and mammals. That's a 67% increase over the number treated during the first two months of 2014. The dramatic jump largely due to an influx of stranded seabirds and struggling waterfowl coming in at about five times the rate seen in more typical winters. Most of the birds have been found in the snow, some on parking lots, very thin and unable to fly. Large numbers of loons and other seabirds have been blown inland by the recent storms. Seabirds like these need to take off over bodies of water. They can't get airborne over solid ground. If you look at the, the anatomy of one of these birds, their legs are way, way in the back, and they're not, uh, they don't do well on ground at all. Uh, many ducks and geese do not migrate south for the winter. And the animals now being found starving because even normally open bodies of water have frozen over, leaving them without access to food. More about that on our Talking Birds Facebook page. And speaking of that page, we'd like to say thanks to all who have been liking us there. We're happy to report we have now exceeded 7,500 likes on our Talking Birds Facebook page. Just a reminder that our phone lines are always open here on Talking Birds, not just for our mystery bird contest, but for anything else you'd like to contribute here at 781-837-4900. We sometimes present a conservation quote of the week on Talking Birds, and we sometimes uh, present a conservation salute instead. Well, this week we'll kind of combine the two and salute the man who issued this quote. I feel bad sometimes that I ever did it. The quote is from John Sylvan, the inventor of the K-cup, that super convenient little plastic pod from Keurig that makes it oh so easy and convenient for us all to brew a cup of coffee. 
In an interview with The Atlantic, Mr. Sylvan said he feels bad because the K-cups are bad for the environment since they are disposable and not recyclable. Here's another John Sylvan quote. I told them how to improve it, but they don't want to listen. He says the K-cups maker has produced enough K-cups to circle the earth at the equator ten and a half times. Sylvan and others have designed solutions like reusable K-cups, but Keurig apparently has tried to prevent those cups from working in its machines. Meanwhile, Keurig owner Green Mountain says it has a plan of its own and is, quote, committed to making 100% of K-cup packs recyclable by the year 2020, end quote. So that would be about five years from now. Plenty of time, it would seem, for those K-cups to circle the earth many more times. Thanks to our friend Barbara Volkel for reminding all of us who pay taxes here in Massachusetts to remember this important number, 32A. I guess it's a number and a, a letter. Uh, anyway, that's the, the number and letter of the line on your income tax form where you can make a donation to a very important cause, the Massachusetts Natural... Uh, Natu- Let's try that again. The Massachusetts Natural Heritage and Endangered Species Program. Voluntary contributions represent a critical part of the funding equation for this program. So if you pay taxes in Massachusetts and you'd like to help protect the future of our wildlife and wild places, please contribute whatever you can. That line number again on the tax form 32A. And I imagine there must be something like this in other states as well. We need to check into that. Still to come on our show today, we'll try to help a listener from the Prairie State, Illinois, that is, find some some owls, maybe some great horned owls. And uh, we'll find out who can identify our eelgrass-eating mystery bird. Somebody will win a beautiful droll Yankees feeder. Time permitting, we'll visit the Talking Bird Science Corner and learn about uh, something surprising about this harbinger of spring. Sounds like a red-winged blackbird to me. Meanwhile, we received a message on our Facebook page from Marie down in Farmville, Virginia, who says that when she and her family lived in Ohio, they had wrens that were smaller than Carolina wrens, and she wonders what kind of wrens they were. She says, I think my mom called them Jenny Wren. Well, we checked into that and found out which bird it is that some folks called call Jenny Wren. Here's a hint. Its scientific name is Troglodytes adon. And we said to Marie in our reply that she has inspired us to tip into the archives and present T. adon as today's Talking Birds featured feathered friend. Who's the toughest, orneriest little ombre out there? It's Yosemite Sam! Yosemite Yosemite that's not it. The way we figure it, it's actually the fierce little house wren. This little brown bird will often just take over all the birdhouses in its vicinity, preventing other species of birds from using them. It will even puncture the eggs of other birds and then sometimes nest in their former digs. It's said that in some areas, house wrens are the biggest cause of nest failure for bluebirds, tree swallows, prothonotary warblers, and chickadees. Like other fast-living tough guys, the house wren has a short lifespan. After hatching, it begins breeding in just a few months, laying clutches of up to nine eggs, producing several broods in a season, and living only a little more than one year. 
This short-lived little bundle of ornery energy is about four to five inches long with a seven-inch wingspan. It's mostly brown with a moderately short tail that's often cocked up jauntily. Its chest and throat are light grayish brown and it has a thin pointed bill. The house wren has one of the widest ranges of any songbird in the New World, breeding from the boreal forests of northern North America all the way down to the southernmost tip of South America. Here's the house wren singing its song and then giving its version of Yosemite Sam's back off. The toughest little guy out there. Now all of you skunks, clear out of here! Not you, Sam. It's our Talking Birds featured feathered friend, Troglodytes Edon, the house wren. A little Jenny Wren trivia for you uh, here, too. Jenny Wren was a character in Charles Dickens' last completed novel, Our Mutual Friend. Also a character in one of Thornton Burgess's books, uh, one of his Burgess animal books for children. And also a song, if an obscure one, by Sir Paul McCartney. There you go. The Jenny Wren. And Marie, thanks again for uh, getting us on the case there. And thanks again for being with us on our Talking Bird show here. Don't forget, you can follow us, we hope you will, on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram at Talking Birds. Email us anytime. Love to hear from you and thoughts and suggestions. The email address, ray at talkingbirds.com. And up next, it's our mystery bird contest in just one minute. Public ferry service to the Boston Harbor Islands has ended for the season, but you can still visit the beautiful Boston Harbor Islands peninsulas open year-round. World's End in Hingham, Deer Island in Winthrop, Webb Memorial Park in Weymouth, and Nut Island in Quincy. They're connected to the mainland and accessible by car, offering stunning views of Boston Harbor and its islands, plus birding, hiking, biking, and cross-country skiing. Enjoy your national park all year long. For more information, please visit bostonharborislands.org. Here on Talking Birds Now, a message from our friends at Ducks Unlimited. Since 1937, Ducks Unlimited has been a world leader in wetlands conservation, ensuring safe passage for nature's most beautiful creations, protection against flooding, and sanctuary for the human soul. If we don't want to grow old in a world without wild places, we must speak up, we must step up, so that we may fill the skies for generations to come. Talking Birds is made possible in part by the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, a world leader in the study, appreciation, and conservation of birds. Please check them out at birds.cornell.edu. On the Mystery Bird Contest, you're eligible if you haven't been a winner here on Talking Birds in the past six months. And here's the number to call. As always, we urge you to call as soon as you can because we will run out of time if you don't. 781-837-4900 is the number. 781-837-4900. We'll give some clues, and then we'll play the song or call of the bird and invite you to call in. Again, it's 781-837-4900. The prize, another of the brand-new talking uh, Droll Yankees feeders. This is the A6RP Classic Sunflower Feeder with the Ring Pull Advantage. Makes it super easy to disassemble for cleaning and to reassemble as well. Here is the sound of our mystery bird. 
That's actually a whole blizzard of mystery birds. That's kind of a clue there because this type of bird in a group is referred to sometimes as a blizzard. Our mystery bird is large and heavy-bodied with a black head and neck and chest and a white, sort of partly broken collar. Our bird breeds way up in the north shore of Alaska in northwest Canada and is found in large numbers on both U.S. coasts in the winter, typically in shallow bays and marshes where it feeds mostly on eelgrass. We see them quite often on the shores of Quincy Bay, right by our Talking Birds World Headquarters over there. And here's a, here's a, this is a really obscure clue, but I'll just throw it in here. Its name is almost identical to the last name of a former Chancellor of Germany. Just a little obscure clue for uh, uh, Talking Birds history buffs on the show here. 781-837-4900 is the number to call. Uh, meanwhile, we're going to check in with Mike O'Connor, who's going to try to help a listener in Illinois find some owls. Let's ask Mike in just one minute. There's a crisis facing us today that reaches far beyond borders or boundaries. It's our planet, and it's in trouble. Scientists estimate that climate change will increasingly alter our planet, and many of our land and water resources will be at risk. Without them, we could lose many of the natural habitats that support life on Earth. Not only will numerous plant and animal species disappear, but the quality of life for all of us will never be the same. What scientists haven't calculated is the power of the human will to work together to save the future of our natural world and all of its inhabitants. If you're ready to make a difference that lasts, to help protect nature and preserve life, visit the Nature Conservancy at nature.org today. That's nature.org today. It's time for Let's Ask Mike, our segment featuring Mike O'Connor from the legendary Birdwatchers General Store on the web at birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. Good morning, Mike. Hey, good morning, Ray. Good morning. A question from Nick in Lyle, Illinois, who says, Mike, I've always been fascinated with owls and owling, but I seem to have difficulty in spotting them. Do you have any tips or suggestions on how to find or attract owls? Thanks from Nick. Nick. Yeah. Dressing up as a field mouse will usually bring them in for this one. <laughs> That'll do it, yeah. I never thought of that. Um, this is a good time of year to try that because um, I'll go out looking for owls because the nights are clear and there's not a lot of foliage on the trees and the owls are getting active because they nest, particularly great horned owls get mm. nesting earlier than um, a lot of birds. So they're active now. Um, two things I would recommend. Um, people have have good luck with tapes. You know, it's a little controversial because you don't want to interrupt or... Uh, complicate their, their mating process, but oh. a lot of times people will play tapes on the owls will come in. I think if you do that once or twice... Despairingly, yeah. Yeah, then it's probably okay. Um, go out on a moonlit night so you can see the silhouettes uh, of the birds as they, they come to the trees. They, they come pretty quickly to calls if, um, you know, something that's in your area. So you're going to find out what's in your area. Uh, great horned owls seem to be ubiquitous, so you probably wouldn't have trouble getting those. Um, but I, a lot of organizations, a lot of birding groups, especially uh, local nature clubs or Audubon societies or even birding clubs, will have an owl prowl once, twice a month. And you might want to—I don't—I don't know anything about Lyle, Illinois, so I don't have any recommendations. But you might want to uh, 
you know, look online or something, Nick, and find something. Because I know around here, the Audubon Society, just up the street from where we are, they not only have owl prowls, but they'll even do owl banding, which is kind of cool, where they get the owls in the nets, and you can look at them, like, mm-hmm. right in your hand almost. So, mm-hmm. so I would kind of look into that. Other than that, just go out some kind of place, habitat you think might be acceptable for owls and play some tapes and, you know, hope for the best. But do it on a... A clear moonlit night because they'll they'll if they come you want to be able to see at least their silhouettes. Nice. Yeah, that that was what I would say. But I do it with a group that you know then then you'll have some kind of leader that knows some of the more the better hot spots and you'll yeah. have a little bit more success than randomly going out. I did that once <laughs> at the local playground, which which is kind of kind of in a wooded area, and I played some owl tapes and I didn't get an owl, but I got a cop. <laughs> well, it was something anyway. Yeah, I know. What are you doing? It's like you know, two in the morning, and I'm out with a tape recorder. I'm playing owl sounds. I want to get some owls. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah well, sure he, he didn't know what to arrest me or just get away from well, me, so he got away from me. You weren't yeah. dressed up as a field mouse, were you? <laughs> <laughs> Not on that particular occasion. Okay. Thank you, Mike. We'll see you next week. Okay. Thanks, Ray. Send your question in to Mike. Uh, send it. Well, send it to me, Ray, and we'll get it to Mike. And just as a thank you for sending that question, we will uh, send you a copy of Mike's new book, Why Do Bluebirds Hate Me? Signed by the author. So uh, that's our little thank you gift for you sending in your question to Mike. Uh, Ray at TalkingBirds.com is the address. No G in talking. Uh, back to the mystery bird contest. And uh, we are trying to identify... This, uh, this here blizzard of birds. Our mystery bird is large and heavy-bodied with a black head, neck, and chest, and a white, partly broken collar. Our bird breeds way up on the north shore of Alaska and northwest Canada and is found in large numbers on both U.S. coasts in the winter, typically in shallow bays and marshes where it feeds mostly on eelgrass. And that obscure clue... Its name almost identical to the last name of a former chancellor of Germany. This is one of those birds with just one name and one syllable, which always sounds wrong. A bird should have a little bit more of an extended name, but this one just doesn't get that except in its subspecies. Okay, so let's go to um, Cindy in Halifax, Massachusetts. Good morning, Cindy. Good morning. How are you? You sound marvelous there, Cindy. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. What do you think our mystery bird is? I believe it's geese. Geese. Goose. 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 Geese or goose? Geese. Or one <laughs> goose multiplied becomes geese. Right. I'm, I'm not going to say that's incorrect, Cindy, but according to my field guide to the birds east of the Rockies, there are about 15 different kinds of geese around these parts. And uh, so we need to have a little more specificity on that. Oh, and this all you know, this bird is not called a goose, even though it is one. Does that help uh, at all? Maybe not. Um, it's not a goose. Hmm. Oh, I don't know. All right. Well, thank you, Cindy. Thanks thank for calling you. us uh, anyway. All right, on the old mystery bird contest. All right, uh, we're going to another call here. And that would be, um, where would that be, Tim? Um, would that be uh, Heather? And somewhere in Maryland. Uh, good morning, Heather. Hi. How are you? Welcome to Talking Birds. I'm good. How are you? Fine, thanks. How did how'd you find us there in Maryland? We have a station down there carrying our show. Yeah, We're, I'm not near that station, but okay. I listen to your podcast just oh. about every week. So. Well, thank you so much. And 
And you decided to catch us live this time. Yeah. All right. And well. I got through, so I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're happy, too. Tim is smiling and applauding over there. And he doesn't do that for everybody, I can tell you right now. Wow. I feel <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't mean to say that in any kind of negative way. But uh, okay, so um, I'll just give, let me give a plug. Though, even though this station is not near you, Heather, but WKDI in Denton, Maryland, uh, now carrying Talking Birds. So if you're down in that area, you can find us there. Um, not live; they're carrying us on Saturdays there. Anyway, uh, Heather, how about our mystery bird? What do you say? I say it's a branch. You are correct. You say you say right. A branch, yes. One of those birds that needs a longer name, but it doesn't get one. I guess I guess there are subspecies. There's the black brant, I think, and the gray brant, I think. But uh, brant is what we were uh, looking for. You must have some around there where you are. Oh, I didn't find out exactly where you are in Maryland. <laughs> well, I'm in a little town, Mount Airy, which is kind of in between Baltimore and D.C. So Okay, Mount Airy. Is it I mean, near the water? Um, we're probably about three hours from the ocean, three so hour, it's okay. not real, real close. But. Yeah, not, not not all that close. Yeah, three hours is not that close. No. You- <laughs> <laughs> but I have seen Brant before. So. Uh, okay, very good. Well, Heather, stay on the line. We'll get your address okay. and send you that Droll Yankees feeder, and thanks for calling in. Awesome, thank you. Okay, thanks. That's Heather down there in Mount Airy, I think she said. Maryland, three hours from the... I didn't think you could be three hours from the ocean. In Maryland, so that shows you how much I know. But uh, that's our mystery bird contest. Brant uh, was the answer. A type of goose looks a little bit like a Canada, Canada goose that's been kind of flattened out by some very heavy, like some big piles of snow that we have around here. Something like that. Do we have time for our um, um, science corner, Tim? Here it is. Hit it. The science corner. Oh, I have it over here. I'm sorry. I'm telling Tim to hit it when I actually have to to uh, hit it. Let me just find it here because I know it's uh, uh, here somewhere. The science corner. Where is the science corner? There it is. Come up to the lab and see what's on the slab. Well, one of the most beautiful and striking spring displays is that of the male red-winged blackbird, with its coal-black body and wings contrasting dramatically with the fiery red shoulder patches. It's a classic sight, a male red wing perched at a rakish angle, swaying back and forth near the top of a cattail stalk, flashing those patches. Without those bright red patches, his chances of attracting a female would be close to nil, right? Well, not exactly. Researchers have now shown that experimentally blackening those shoulder patches does not cause the bird to lose its ability to attract females. Although it does have a negative effect on the bird's chances of defending its territory against other males. Research also shows that the female red-winged blackbirds are more attracted to high-quality nesting territories than they are to bright red shoulder markings. Well, as we did in a previous Science Corner, we try to interpret this information in human terms. So, fellas, if you're trying to win the woman of your dreams... Maybe you should concentrate on getting a nice house in a nice neighborhood and forget about the Brioni suit. That's Science Corner. You're on Talking Birds. Thanks again for being with us on our show, which is uh, almost uh, over here. We are almost out of time. We play our, uh, our little uh, Panama music here again. 
little Panama music because uh, we're pretty excited. We kind of wanted to share the excitement that we are heading for Panama, and we're going to the Canopy Camp and to the Canopy Lodge and then to the Canopy Tower uh, right near the Cape, uh, not the Cape Cod Canal, but the Panama Canal, and we'll be broadcasting our show from the Canopy Tower, that famous birding spot in the forests of Panama on the 22nd of March. So we'll be heading down there soon and cruising around a little bit and some of those, seeing those beautiful lodges there and then originating our show from the famous Canopy Tower on March 22nd. Uh, by the way, um, if you're up in Maine or, or any place near there, hope you can join us on May 24th. We'll be doing Talking Birds from the L.L. Bean flagship store in Freeport, Maine. That'll be on Sunday, May 24th. Meanwhile, that would be about it for our show today. We're going to have an exciting show next week and hear more about that Heath Hen project to de-extinctify the Heath Hen. The executive producer of Talking Birds, Mark Duffield. Our associate producer, Emmer Morgenstern. Our engineer, Tim McKenney. I'm Ray Brown. See you next week. Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store, Route 6A, Orleans, Cape Cod. On the web at birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By the Boston Harbor Island Alliance. Minutes away, worlds apart. Go to bostonharborislands.org for more information. I love talking birds. I love that show.